meteorologist Malcolm Byron. Live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at 44th and O, morning radio for the entire capital city. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Uh, all right, greetings. Welcome in on your Tuesday morning, June 13th, 2023. We've got 54 degrees in the capital city starting out. Your Tuesday morning. Got a good show for you today. Joining us will be Joe Jordan, News Channel Nebraska, to talk some Nebraska news and politics with us a little bit later in the show. We are going to hear from our friends at the Lincoln Arts Council. they got a big event coming up this weekend, and we'll be giving away some uh, some art bucks there that you can use at the, uh, at the event coming up. We'll hear more about that coming up at... 810. We'll count down the five things people are talking about today with your morning drive as well. And uh, just getting all the things that are going on this morning. So hopefully you're feeling fine here on this Tuesday morning. And uh, Mark Vale still out traveling. Uh, he'll be back next week. Caleb Henry in here with me today. Good morning, Caleb. Welcome how's, back for your Tuesday. How's it going? It's it's great. It is fine. And uh, yeah, a big, big day for court-related news yeah. today. Yeah, and I'm not just talking about the one that you might think that I'm talking about. And we'll, we'll get to that one eventually, a little bit on it, not a, not a ton on it, but we'll get a little bit on it to uh, what's going to be happening in Miami today. But right here in Nebraska, uh, as Bick reported, uh, there was a uh, decision yesterday in an initial hearing in the lawsuit between Planned Parenthood and the state of Nebraska, where there is an allegation that the bill that was passed that, among other things, uh, put a 12-week limit on abortions is not viable, is not passed constitutional muster because there are two subjects within it. Here's what happened yesterday, a ruling that essentially means, bottom line on this thing, the ruling yesterday, or at least the decision to stay the hearing uh, essentially means that this law, the abortion portion of the law, will be staying in effect right now. The plaintiffs in the case are seeking a temporary injunction. So temporary injunction basically means, hey, we're not going to enforce the law during the pendency of this action uh, until we see whether or not it passes constitutional muster and and is going to be okay here. That's what they want to do. They're still going to make that case, but it does delay the ruling on the preliminary injunction. So that means the 12-week abortion ban based on gestational age will be in effect at least until the next hearing. Uh, the bill itself made it uh, go into effect right after Governor Pillen signed it. So that's where we are now at this point, and the judge is going to... Uh, uh, they did a Zoom hearing yesterday, and they uh, are going to be looking a little bit later at those questions now. So um, that's that's the update there. Nothing substantive yet discussed here in this whole thing. It's basically just a timing situation with the lawsuit itself then, hmm. and uh, they, will, they will deal with that. But that'll be the thing to watch on, on this if you're wondering what the overall outcome on this thing will be. And I've, I've probably gone through this a lot of times because it comes up in a lot of these suits, especially dealing with legislation. But you, you, very often when you're dealing with legislation that someone thinks is illegal, 
they will make that motion for the preliminary injunction and say, hey, uh, we think this thing's unconstitutional or we think this thing is illegal or shouldn't be made into law uh, legally. So, like I said, we want to hold off on enforcing it during the time that we're actually figuring that out for sure. The judge's job in evaluating that kind of a motion, one of the things the judge does is assess what's called the likelihood of success on the merits. Easier way of saying that is who's probably going to win this thing. Um, and so it's kind of like a, it's almost like a, a mini decision before the final decision. Okay, It's a predictive decision in some way. So that often is a harbinger of what's really going to happen. So that's the next thing to watch for in this thing is what happens in terms of a, of a temporary injunction, if a temporary injunction is issued. Now, it doesn't end things in either ruling. Um, the the judge could decide they're going to continue to have the law until the, the case is over, or they could decide that they are going to enjoin or stop enforcement of it during the time of this. You still then go through the merits of the whole thing, but you 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 kind of know which side might have a leg up in the arguments that okay. they're making at that time. So that's just a a, a little ex- explainer in that. And then there was there was this too. Speaking of of courts, it was a walkout yesterday. Um, the interpreters, not all of them, but a group of I believe it was ten uh, language interpreters for Nebraska state courts. Uh, in protest, walked out yesterday. Um, there's no official count, but the numbers I've heard of is about about ten of them, and they're protesting their pay. Uh, there was a veto in the last budget. Governor Pillen vetoed a pay increase for court interpreters that had been proposed in that two year budget. This was one of them where they tried an override. The legislature tried an override, but did not get the votes, and so. Among, you know, there were there were a few other areas like this where there were not people getting raises. But the uh, there was a, a press release that said this hasn't been changed since 2004. Current rate is $50 an hour for certified interpreters, 35 an hour for registered but non-certified interpreters. There's got to be a, uh, a two-minute or, excuse me, a, a two-hour minimum then. The request, what they wanted to get was 85 an hour for certified interpreters, 60 an hour for non-certified interpreters, and then build in a three-year automatic yearly sort of cost of living type increase as well. And so now they are, so apparently it was not all of the interpreters, but the ones that didn't have made the interpreter, the the state courts obviously shorthanded now Mm -hmm. at this point, because I think there, I think there's a, a high need for people to be to be doing this and so you, there had been rumors of of this this thing going um evidently um the state court admin came forward the state court administration made an offer on this that was not accepted wasn't apparently was not according to this group was not as much as they had been asking uh, they didn't like how it doled out the different increases, a part of that. And there's been nothing that's that's happened since this. And they've taken the interpreters off the roster of the interpreters that are available for these cases. Mm. Um, and now you've got the, the, the interpreters saying that's, that's retaliatory, which is something that comes up a lot of times in labor law. <laughs> um, and 
and and so now you've got kind of a whole new thing going on here that's added into this whole thing over over whether or not this was uh, if they were you know being re- removed in a retaliatory um, way and if that was a, a way that the state shouldn't been shouldn't have been able to do that and so I'm not sure how you know I I don't know for sure how they'll they'll go forward with this they're they're shorthanded are you going to be able to cover all the needs for it with the interpreters that you have, are you going to have to delay a bunch of things that are going on? Mm-hmm. Is there going to be some sort of a negotiation? And if there is a race, where does the, you know, where exactly does the money come from right. on this right. whole thing? Legislature's out of session, budget signed, right? <laughs> All of those things are done. So a couple of interesting stories here this morning, judicially, in addition to the uh, to the big one that's going to be going on in Miami and who knows what kind of a circus it'll be? They talked about what a circus it was going to be when, um, when they had the arraignment in uh, in Manhattan, and that didn't actually materialize into a whole lot. So perhaps, perhaps same thing here. I'm not sure. I don't know. But the uh, of course everybody will be focused on Miami with that. I can talk about some of the nuts and bolts legally on that if we want to a little bit later. Um, and then a couple other things. Uh, you heard the audio there from the vote in the city council. Um, got unanimous support for the transfer of land from the city to the Malone Community Center to begin their $20 million project uh, that would build a new facility there for the Malone Community Center. And so it's a transfer of land for $1 from the city um, to to Malone. And then they would build, you can go to their website and see all of the things that are going to be on this center. Um, a basketball court, they've got, you know, it's a whole, it's a, it's a very extensive facility that they would do. And as Bick reported, that would take about a year and a half to actually build, mm-hmm. be until yeah. 2025 until you'd see that in that Antelope Creek area as well. So um, those are some of the things in the uh, in the headlines today. And then uh, from the sports world, boy, uh, you talk about the transfer portal, and Caleb, <laughs> the transfer portal giveth and the transfer, por- transfer portal taketh away. And it feels like it's been a decent amount of taketh away from Nebraska sports sometimes. But yesterday... Let, let, let me just let me give this resume before you you okay. go go down that road. Yeah, if you had someone that you said, all right, they were a three time state champion here in the state of Nebraska in their sport. They were a two time All American and a two time national champion in their sport in the two years that they've been in college, and they were just named the most valuable player of the championship. Right in the sport that they played, and you, you and they were in the. Top ten, the voting for the top ten player in the entire country. Yeah, so in the, for national basically player, the Heisman, basically the Heisman yeah. of that sport. So you do that and you go, okay, what sport could Nebraska realistically be in the running for for that type of a player? And you're like volleyball. Yeah, volleyball, right? <laughs> volleyball. Like, like volleyball's got to be that one. Yep. Softball. Papillion yeah. La Vista's uh, Jordy Ball. So she and, and to be clear, she, she put she out a social not, statement yeah. and she said she was going home. Did not say that she was going to the University of Nebraska Lincoln in that statement. Um, it's very much assumed. Yeah, it's not, I don't think it's even. I don't even think it's just assumed. I think there. <laughs> I, I think maybe it's not a very well kept secret. Yeah, we're at all this pretty point, sure to the extent that it's even a secret. Right at this point. But yeah, she made that decision, and it's a, it's an interesting question. 
you know why you make is it about is it about going home is it about you know whatever is what's what's happening in Oklahoma which might not be bad I mean it may be a situation I mean Caleb I don't think maybe people I don't think people get tired of winning usually but to some degree you could almost see how a new challenge would be attractive after you just completed the most perhaps one of the most successful sports seasons of any sport in history you just defend Oklahoma you defended a national championship. You ran off more than 50 games in a row. Yeah. More than 50 in a row. And as a pitcher, I mean, she threw a shutout in the 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 uh the final series, the championship series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there there's the point where you see it, you see it a lot more times I guess in the professional careers or when some college athletes are deciding whether or not they're going to go pro. It's what else have I to accomplish here besides doing this just again? Right. And for Miss Ball, what what else is there truly to accomplish at Oklahoma besides trying to just do it two more times? Right, right, yeah. So I I, I assume maybe we'll get something a little bit more official here, maybe still this week. But that is uh, that would be uh, Caleb uh, the the kind of addition, especially at a pitcher position. Well, and that's that that's can, the position Nebraska needs right now. Yeah, because they lose they lose Courtney they right. Lose, they lose Courtney yeah. Wallace. Um, and they lost um, uh, Olivia. I'm forgetting her last name. The year before, right? So you've been you've been really set with kind of like your one A pitcher the last couple of years, right? And they've had a little bit of injury there as well um, on the depth. But if you bring in one of the well, best pitchers in the country with this lineup that was already a good lineup, right. a good young lineup, still young, yeah, yeah, it's. It's huge. Uh, it's it's huge news. And in softball, you can I mean you can run pitchers out there more often mm-hmm. as well. And so, you know, arguably a softball pitcher is even more impactful on a roster than is a baseball pitcher. Correct. Very instance. much correct. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, wait for full confirmation on that thing. But potentially one of the one of the bigger um, one of the biggest transfer gets University of Nebraska has ever had. And I mean, you you really don't even see. You for the most part don't see. I suppose you talk about you know Caleb Williams going from Oklahoma to USC. If you want to really look at like Hunter Dickinson leaving from Michigan and going to Kansas, those might be on the level of um, what this is within cl- the sport. Close to it, Haley Van Lith leaving Louisville to go to LSU. Okay, like, like you're you're getting close. there's a few of them. You're this getting is, close to it. Is a handful of people that you go. That is an All American at any school that they're at. What is it going? Would they? Why are they really going but, to leave the place that they've had success? Even in those ones we mentioned, they all went to a team that was an up an upgrade in terms of likelihood of success. Or they weren't leaving a national worst, championship at worst, team. Even at worst, even maybe Oklahoma to USC. You know, maybe you could argue, and that was following a coach, but you could argue that was maybe close to a lateral move. Um, there's no lateral move out of Oklahoma, no. <laughs> right? There's no. no upward move out of Oklahoma for softball. So that's a that's a crazy story. That was that was pretty impressive yesterday to see that come in. You're looking at some very impressive talent on the uh, on ro- on Nebraska rosters this uh, this next school yep. year. Yeah, exciting.
Very exciting. I ne- you know, I never even got to talk to you. How proud of you were the uh, were you of the uh, women's javelin throwers here at the Jav- University javelin, of Nebraska? Javelin got national champion. The uh, shot putter got yeah. national champion. Let's go throwers! I thought I love it. You're in the you're in arguably this year for for women's throwers the best state in the country for it. This is the one, the one that created Caleb Henry. Well, and that's because ju- well, okay. I'll separate those two comments there. Just what Justin St. Clair is doing as throws coach and now as head coach is ex- Nebraska cannot get enough of this. Like they cannot be thankful enough that they got this guy to come in as the throws coach and then take over as head coach. Mm-hmm. So good at track and field, like internationally good at the throws mm-hmm. is what he is. Yeah. So I, I expect maybe it's not getting two national champions every year out of your your throwers, um, whether it's guys or girls. Yep. But he is really good, and they've brought in a lot of talent, and they've all developed really well under him. And as someone who loves the throws and grew up in, with the throws and did it in college, I love seeing it happen right here. I know. I, w- I w- felt bad that the you know one of the few days you're gone, not able to do the sports cast is the day <laughs> Nebraska wins a national championship in your sport there. Uh, weather-wise today, it looks like a really nice day once again. Uh, starting out a little warmer than we did yesterday. We're at 54 right now. Should get up into the low 80s today. Storm, uh, not storm, but rain precipitation chances. Looks like we're probably, guys, looking at mm, Friday, Thursday night, Friday, when that really shows up in the forecast. But, hey, did you hear in Bix News? We're doing a good job saving water. Yeah, look at us go, everybody. That's partially because a lot of us have just given up. But nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, good job with that. All right, 625, we'll take a break. Caleb's got a full check of sports next on KLIN. Let Lincoln know if your organization or business is impacted by the latest severe weather. Go under the closings tab and sign up at KLIN.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. I'm meteorologist Malcolm Byron. A look at news from both inside and outside of Lincoln and conversation on how that news affects us here. It's time for the Sound Off on LNK Today. All right, welcome back on your Tuesday morning, 635, 55 degrees in the capital city. I'm going to talk to Joe Jordan here coming up about a half hour from right now. And just another look ahead to the end of the week. I always like to make sure everybody's updated so they don't have to ask what the Request Line Friday theme is. Given that this is Father's Day weekend, yeah, don't forget, people, it's Father's Day weekend coming up in a few days. Uh, We are going to do, for Request Line Friday, the same thing we did on Mother's Day. We're just going to do it on on Father's Day. And so if you've got a song in mind that uh, that was a favorite, 
uh, of of a, a dad, father figure in your life, one that reminds you of a specific memory uh, with that person, or um, or even one you know that's just a, a kind of a general one that that reminds you of uh, your father or Father's Day in general. Would love to hear that request. So put those in today on the request line hotline 402-479-1400 via text, and we'll go through our list. Coming up on Friday, Caleb, we had we had good response with the getaway edition good. of LNK today with Jack and Friends request line Friday, and um, the the DJing went. The, we 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 were able to get through it without you, but we're excited to have you back for this week. What was your favorite song Friday. that got played this last week? Uh, man, there were. Uh, the, the, I'll tell you, I know what the most popular one was. Um, was Kokomo by the Beach Boys? Yeah, everybody. We probably had five different people request that song. <laughs> um, we did get the return of uh, Styx's Come Sail Away. Good. Which we, got, we make sure and get in about half the shows from Request Line Friday. Um, no, I had a, had, a, had a lot of good ones in there and had a lot of fun with that one. So uh, we got a theme for this week, though, for the Father's Day edition. So I'm excited to hear what you guys come up with for that. All right. It is time for our sound off. And, well, here we go. Former President Donald Trump goes to Miami today. I think he's already arrived yesterday and will appear in court for the arraignment on charges associated with classified documents. Well, you know, you know what it's all about here at this point. But this is the initial hearing. And I think a lot of the question, I think a lot of the questions here is are going to be about the scene outside of the courtroom and what that ends up being like today. There was some of that when he went to Manhattan, as I said earlier in the show. Uh, it seems like sort of the thought you hear what the Miami and the area law enforcement is talking about. It seems like they're preparing for something bigger than we saw as it related to that. But it's hard to tell at this point. The one thing, if you if you follow the coverage, if you care to follow the coverage, you'll notice is different. Is there's going to be less video, less photographic stuff once you get inside the courthouse. There's uh, that doesn't happen in federal court like it would in local courts, in state courts or county courts or or whatever the state divides them up by. So you're not going to have that whole thing. But they will, guys. They'll have the if if you're into this sort of thing. They'll have the the helicopters, I'm sure, tracking the car from when it when it leaves wherever he's staying, driving all the way out there, the motorcade that goes associated with it and and all of that. But there's not I, I don't expect a ton of actual news to come out of the actual hearing today. This is that initial right. hearing expected to plead not guilty. Um, you know, they're not he's obviously gonna be released. Um, related to this and and that'll be the plan and you know we kind of kind of went through and saw what that was like uh, when it happened last time around in New York so a little bit more preview of what's coming up here President Trump expected to show up here to appear in court around three o'clock this afternoon in an interview with Americano media Mr. Trump said he did nothing wrong because the Presidential Records Act allows him to keep documents and negotiate with the National Archives here at the courthouse Miami city officials say they have layered plans in place to deal with the crowds, whether it's 5,000 
or 50,000. The judge issued an order that all cell phones and electronic equipment are prohibited for news reporters and other members of the media inside the courthouse. All right, so saying a lot of things there that that 5,000 to 50,000? There's a range. <laughs> 50,000 would be something. Um, I'm going to guess it's not there, but who knows? Uh, not not sure. One interesting thing on that one, just from the legal end of this, and these are probably things that we're all going to get more and more familiar with here over the course of the next few months, but uh, uh, Trump was apparently citing in that interview the Presidential Records Act. I don't think that's going to be a strong defense for his team. Um, I, just that that would come into play if if a lot of the records or if the, or if there are records that you're dealing with here um that were essentially made by the president um and were presidential records and then if if they would fit into the category of presidential records that were more personal personal records like this the one of the big cases about this is uh, i think it was about uh Bill Clinton and basically doing an interview, kind of like a diary type, audio diary and tapes okay. that tapes that went along with that. If they are, if the documents that we're talking about here, and I think they are, are agency created documents, right? Agents, so the CIA or or whatever agency is is creating these documents, those would not fit under the purview of the Presidential Records Act. Now, I'm not saying. To hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. I still, you know, that doesn't. I I just think that's not the that's not going to be the winning argument if there is one for Trump. I think the the biggest decision in this case, my opinion, that um, the judge and then maybe the appeals court is going to have to make is whether or not that some of the testimony that they obviously have from. Trump's lawyers, one in particular, that they used in the indictment, whether or not that is going to be allowed into testimony that gets that the jury ends up hearing. And the reason I say that is typically conversations between an attorney and a client are privileged and can't be introduced into evidence. Now, there is an exception for that. It's called the crime fraud exception. Simply stated, it basically means if there are conversations in furtherance of a crime, you can pierce the veil, as they say, of the attorney-client privilege. Where is that line, though, is an interesting one. Um, you know, part of the things that were that were indicated in the indictment was that, um, you know, Trump was basically asking the attorney, well, can we just not, you know, what happens if we just don't give them what they ask for, right? What if this scenario, what if this mm-hmm. scenario, which are... Scenario: the, the things he mentioned would be in contravention of the law, but it happened in a discussion between a client and an attorney. And there's, there's that doesn't strike me. That that little portion of the conversation doesn't necessarily strike me as something that would be planning a crime necessarily. When you're saying what would happen if this, what would happen if this, what would happen if this. Now. Maybe there's more detail into what those conversations look like that get her to a closer to a crime fraud exception where that a bunch of that testimony from the attorney would come in. But that's key testimony in the obstruction stuff. Um, and here's what I probably think will happen on that is there'll be an initial ruling uh, on that about that, that, that testimony of the attorney. I'm forgetting his name right now, but that main attorney 
And that will probably be immediately appealed to the 11th Circuit right. by whoever loses in that. And then you'll go through the 11th Circuit would deal with it. But you kind of just see how this whole thing might be slowed down a bit because that is going to be such a key potential ruling on when and if the attorney-client privilege should be pierced by this court. Just because it's in the, just because it's in the, um, the doc, the indictment document, does not mean that it sees the light of day mm-hmm. in the trial. And if it does, parts of it don't see the light of day in trial. You have a harder time making a case. So, to me, that's, I think that is probably the one that the the team, whoever it is right now, is hanging their hat on more so than any uh, than any use of the Presidential Records Act because that one I don't think is going to be a winner. And then you know the legal the, system feels so tedious. There's other, yeah, it, it can oh my be. God. And then there's other questions around it too. I don't know that anybody wants to get into the complete minutia, but we, we can do that throughout if we if we want to as well. But like, I don't know anybody who's looking at the indictment and like and like, oh, this is for sure just complete crap. There's no way, or this is a slam dunk conviction. I tend to think they don't quite know very much about how all of this is going to work mm-hmm. right like until you know that's the thing about this thing like until you know i i think we can agree that like if if crimes were committed right like crimes hypothetically could be committed by a former president by this former president and if so they could and should be prosecuted but if this comes out where it the the crimes weren't committed and the 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 indictment turns out not to be proven at all or they just unable to unable to do it that would lead you to the conclusion that this was a frivolous prosecution essentially but until you know for sure what happened it's hard to mm-hmm. it's hard for me to say which of if if either of those things that it is that's what I'm. All, that's why I'm always so fascinated with everyone's response to this thing, and it's not confusing, right? Mm-hmm. People these days cheer for the political outcome they want, regardless of what facts are. Mm-hmm. Generally, it just feels like we're from somebody who is not well versed in the legal system. It feels like we're just wasting time when it's whatever comes out and whatever the decision is. Is going to be appealed, and then that'll get appealed, <laughs> yeah. and it'll just it'll just continue to move up. I mean, the, that's move how, up the ladder. That's how a lot of it works. I, yeah, yeah, I know that's how a lot of it works. Yeah, even outside but, of the the presidency, but yeah, yeah like not well. It's 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 kind of like Caleb. I think maybe what you're thinking of it's a call on a close play at second base in a baseball game where the safe or the out call is made. But you're like, well, it's just going to depend on replay here. Yeah, after this yeah. whole thing, it, it's it's going to get appealed. It's going to get appealed, and at the end of the day, just same same thing with the play at second base. It's going to be who am I cheering for? <laughs> yeah, right, right, and that affects how you look at it normally <laughs> too. Uh, anyway. So we've got that. Let's. Uh, what other things do we have uh, going on today in the news? Uh, this okay. This is uh, we're jumping right into the entertainment news. I think we're going to hit this in the in the morning drive as well. But a major retirement coming in the game show world. Did yes, you hear I saw this that yesterday? Pat Sajak is going to call it quits. Pat Sajak will step down from his four-decade career 
as host of Wheel of Fortune. Sajak made the announcement on Twitter, writing, Well, the time has come. I've decided that our 41st season, which begins in September, will be my last. It's been a wonderful ride. He continued that he'll have more to say in the coming months and ended it saying thanks to you all. The 76-year-old has hosted the evening syndicated show since its debut in 1981 and also hosted a daytime edition from 81 to 89. He and Vanna White are among the longest game show hosts in the medium's history. Michelle Polino, Fox News. Is there a... Um, they're among the longest hosts. This is also crazy Who to come the, out. Who's it, got a longer te- Who's got a longer run than they do? Less than a week after we had that pause, what you're hide about Vanna White? About Vanna White, but and, and then so the next obvious question is: Do you keep it going with a new host? Now, my first response is: You know what? It's probably had its moment. Right, it's at it's at its very long moment, mm-hmm. and you just sort of wrap the whole thing up and call it good. It doesn't need to go on forever. That would be my thought. But I'm not. Maybe there are fans of watching it who would be very upset if they said that, and they still want their wheel. But it'll feel. It would be bizarre to have another host. Yeah. Of that since since 1981, I was four years old. When that show started, I, I thought was, it actually started before that. I thought it was the seventies that it got started, but it I was, was 19, negative nine. Yeah, it was it was nineteen eighty one because it was a pretty it was a pretty big deal. I mean, it felt like it was pretty ubiquitous during my childhood. It was I, I remember it being on the TV when I was I don't know five years old in, in like mid eighties, and it it felt like it was something that was pretty ingrained into you know TV culture at that point, but. And does Vanna go on without him? I can't imagine they would do that either, but... So, th- that show started, my dad was 16. I'm trying to think, when I, when I, the things that started when I was 16, are those still going to be around? Yeah, right? Uh, yeah. When, when I'm my dad's age, that would be like... Or when I was are, five, yeah. Is Ninja Warrior going to still be doing... What they do, yeah. American Ninja Warrior, and well, you do talk about like the longest another twenty years. It is kind of interesting at looking at like the very longest running TV shows because what was I watching the other? Oh, I was watching, uh, I was watching uh, The Voice. They were doing the in and up their season mm-hmm. where Blake is leaving, and they were like, "This is the I can't remember." It was a huge number of seasons. Now they do two a year right. in a lot of cases, but but. The Simpsons is still going. Simpsons debuted December 1989. So that is 34 seasons of The Simpsons that they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, Law and Order, SVU, really? Uh, that is gone 24 seasons on NBC. Uh, these are scripted shows, though. So these are not... I should I should actually pull up that, that includes unscripted shows, too. Uh, Law and Order, 22 years since 1990. Family Guy, 21 years since 1999. Um, oh, don't they have S- South Park on here? Went was uh, went longer than that. I don't see that on this list. This list might need some some updates on this whole thing. But if you're wondering, by the way, the, the, the list I have, Family Guy, then Gunsmoke, NCIS, American Dad, seriously? Uh, Lassie, Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy, 2005. So that's 19 seasons. That they've done, and then Criminal Minds rounds out the top ten there. So long running shows. I don't know if they'll try and keep it going. They did keep, you know, they kept prices right going after Bob Barker left, though. Yeah, and and they're <laughs> working on Jeopardy. Uh, Je- yeah, uh, duh, Jeopardy. Um, 
And so there is precedent. Those are kind of those are kind of the big three, right? In syndicated or 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 in daily, um, daily daytime or early evening time, late afternoon time, long running game shows. Those are the three, and two of the three have already had a host change. Okay, so you were going through a lot of the scripted shows, yeah. and, and a lot of these are actually just news programs. Okay, Meet the Press, oh, yeah, CBS, like sixty TV minutes, shows. yeah, like those those have been going for seventy plus years. Okay. Also going for set more than 70 years on Nebraska Educational TV, Backyard Farmer. Oh, really? Nice. So so here in Nebraska is a show that's been going for more than 70 years. My mom loves that show. She loves that that's show. That's awesome. Yeah, very cool. So anyway, um, got a few months to say goodbye to Pat, but that'll be it for Pat Sajak and Wheel of Fortune, and I would retire too. I'm, you know, I can't, I can't imagine, I can't imagine after all those years with that show, like, it, I mean, it's impressive. It just doesn't, it feels like that would get so monotonous to do that show over and over again. It's very exciting. Yes, you're a TV host, you're a you're star, that kind of thing. But just kind of the routine and the repetition of that show feels like, especially, especially like that Paul was saying for Vanna. Oh my gosh. Okay, I found longest running game shows. Okay. Now, one of the neither of these are consecutive years, but you've got let's make a deal. Cause that did that go away and come back like the Wayne Brady version it, yeah, came well, back. Yeah, it's I don't it, feel like that current, should yeah. count, but and okay. you've got Jeopardy. And Jeopardy, which is consecutive. How long when did that start? Well it 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 uh it's got a gap between 79 and 84. Oh, okay. So there was an older version of that. Art Fleming. Okay. From 64 to 79. Oh, my goodness. All right. And then the Trebek version started in 84. Yep. Okay. All right. That's interesting. And what's uh, Price is Right? Is that on that list? If you've got it. Price is Right uh, since 72. Okay. And that's been straight. I don't yep, think that's, that's straight that's through. Stopped. Yeah. All right, those game shows, they can keep going. Uh, all right. You know what's funny? I know like four people who have been on The Price is Right, but I've never met anybody who's been on Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune. Oh. But Price is Right, oddly large amount of people that I know that have been on the show. Is Price is Right just more attainable? Because you only have... They get more people on the on the, you know, what they do... Three people, they do six people who get on stage every show. Yeah, you just keep cycling the people three and up three, there. Three and three, so six per, where Jeopardy is three in Wheel of Fortune, so there's twice as many people, arguably. Yeah. But anyway, something to think about. Okay. All right, 625, that's it for your sound off. We only played two clips, but there's a lot to talk about. You listen to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. You're listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, 657 LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. All right, so you found found even a longer, a a regional longer running game show, even than the ones that we were talking about that I've never heard of. It's in the, well, I figured you probably would have watched it when you were in D.C. for a while. Uh, but Baltimore, Charlottesville, and D.C. areas only. It's a game show called It's Academic. Huh. 
It's a televised academic student quiz shows for high school students. And they, they air it over there in the, uh, the D.C. area. Huh. Cool. Been on the air version of it since 1961. Wow. And it's still going? Still going. Wow. No, it's crazy. When I, lived in D- I didn't even have a... Uh... I didn't even have a TV in the room that I lived in in D.C. It's a single elimination tournament featuring 81 schools in the Washington metro area. Oh, cool. Um, 81 schools in the Baltimore metro area and nine schools in the central Virginia region. Hey, let's bring that to Nebraska. The winners in each region go on to battle each other in the Super Bowl. We need to uh, we need to, we need to bring that to Nebraska. This That'd be looks good. Awesome. Maybe some of the schools that haven't had as much athletic success can get some W's there. That'd it be seems. Good. It. I mean, just from a quick look, it looks very quiz bowl. Yeah. That we have yeah. here across the country. Yep. Very cool. All right. That's what we've. Uh, that's what we found in the uh, in the records of the longest running game shows ever on American TV. All right, coming up during the 7 o'clock hour, we've got Joe Jordan joining us from News Channel Nebraska. We'll talk to him uh, maybe a little bit about not only the petition drive that is now in force, uh, groups trying to get signatures on the public-private school legislation that came out. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Got some of the Nebraska delegation's responses to the Trump indictment. I know George Jordan's been doing some stories on that, so we'll get to that with him as well. We'll count down the five things you are going to be talking about today as well in your morning drive. That's coming up at 7.35. And uh, we'll talk to the Lincoln Arts Council. we got tickets to give away, too. Or I guess I should call them Art Bucks to give away. Art Bucks. With the uh, Lincoln Arts Festival that is coming up here this weekend. So be listening for your chance to text to win later in the show. 55 degrees in the capital city. It is 7 o'clock on KLI and Lincoln. Live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at 44th and O. Morning radio for the entire capital city. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, greetings. Welcome back, LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. Glad to have you back with us on this June 13th, 2023. And on Tuesday mornings at 710, we talked to Joe Jordan reporting for News Channel Nebraska about what's going on with Nebraska news and politics. Good morning, Joe. How are you doing today? I'm good, Jack. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm good. Here we go into uh, nationally another crazy news day um, yeah. with uh, with what's happening in, in Miami today. But to, to kind of localize it a little bit, I know... Um, you've done some reporting on the reaction specifically uh, from among Nebraska's delegation on on Don Bacon, um, and it, it you know it has been kind of interesting, Joe, to see where people are. You've got some people saying kind of what you expect them to say in this scenario, depending on which side of the political aisle that they're on, and then you've got some that are maybe a little bit more surprising, or some who are not saying much. Don Bacon's in a unique position. That that position is always kind of a unique one in that congressional seat because of what the realities of winning that seat means. Um, what did I know you you've uh, you covered a little bit of what he had to say. What did he have to say, and what did you make of it? Bottom line in his uh, statement regarding former President Trump's indictment is a that he is. Uh, for lack of a better word on my part, mortified of how the documents were handled. 
he says as a retired brigadier general, uh, he dealt with classified information quite often uh, in his role, especially overseas in, in, in Iran and Iraq issues, and uh, says basically that those documents have to be handled carefully, and he's uh, really upset with how the documents were handled, assuming that they were handled the way the government alleges uh, they were in the indictment. At the same time, he then kind of pivots and says that the DOJ, the Department of Justice, has apparently two um, standards, one for pres- former President Trump and one that they use for Hillary Clinton. And he thinks that the DOJ should be, you know, treating both sides equally, which is sort of that middle ground that Republicans who are in purple districts like Don Bacon are in have uh, have tried to maneuver, where they they want to they don't want to go against Trump completely because there are still you know people in Trump's base who live in the Omaha Second Congressional District, sure. and however <laughs> it doesn't want to fall over completely in line with uh, with Donald Trump because that would cost him probably votes from the independents, possibly moderate Democrats that he's trying to, to lure over, and he's coming off a. Uh, another difficult campaign. He won 51-49 over State Senator Tony Vargas. It's not clear yet if Vargas is going to take a second uh, bite at the apple. I think in the end he probably will be the candidate, but we haven't heard yet uh, from Vargas on that. But there's a lot of expectation in the Democratic Party that that Vargas is going to be uh, the candidate again, which Hmm. in a presidential year, uh, you know, it was an off year when, when he lost by two points to, to Don Bacon. In a presidential year, Democrats uh, in the second congressional district tend to do better. And uh, I don't know if that would be the case in 2024, but if history means anything, uh, a Vargas-Bacon rematch could be even closer than 5149. Uh, so if you're Don Bacon, uh, as you have for quite some time, you're trying to, you know, uh, I don't want to say straddle the fence, but in some respects, it was a very mixed message that he that he delivered. You know, at, at the same time, you know, Bacon has been on the record. As I, I even asked him about it the night of uh, his his reelection in 2022, uh, in his in his acceptance speech that night, which were, a couple things were interesting. One was he never ever mentioned Donald Trump by name, which I thought was interesting. Secondly. There was not one person in that crowd that night, and there had to be five or six hundred people in the in the uh, in the, the hotel ballroom. There wasn't one MAGA hat in the room, which to me was somewhat interesting. Hmm. And so then, it, when the after he gave his announcement or his, his acceptance speech for for winning the, the nomination or the election again, I asked him if he was you know why he didn't support why he didn't mention Donald Trump's name, and he said, "Well, this wasn't the night to talk about Donald Trump." And I said, will you support him if he is the nominee in 2024? And he said, well, I'm not, as I said before, I'm not supporting him in the primary. And then I followed up and said, well, what about the general election? And he said, I'm not supporting him in the primary. He has not yet made a decision, or at least he has not yet made an announcement. If Trump gets the nomination, will Don Bacon support Donald Trump for president? We don't know the answer to that yet. Hmm. All right. And that's a question that a lot of Republicans are are getting right now. In fact, a lot of presidential candidates uh, are getting right now with this whole thing. I, I have noticed, and maybe I've missed it, but I haven't heard um, a lot outside of what you just reported on there with Bacon. I haven't heard a lot from the Nebraska delegation on this, and and maybe I've missed it. Have you heard any of the other people in the Washington, Nebraska delegation who have had much of anything to say about this uh, particular indictment? Well, 
if you've missed it, I've missed it. Yeah. I've seen nothing. Uh, none of the none of the other congressmen, uh, uh, neither the, the two uh, U.S. senators. I've not seen any statements from them regarding the indictment of uh, of President Trump. Now, and maybe that's because their uh, their statement would be, you know, "We support the president." I don't know. Yeah. But uh, well, been, as, as you said, there's been nothing so far. Like I pulled up, I, I was just in in getting ready for the segment. I was just looking up, seeing if I could find anything, and everything that popped up was. The reaction in March to yes. the the other indictment um, yeah, out of New York in, in in New York and you know and that one just kind of looking at what was said at the time um, it was interesting to see the spectrum of the reactions to that one you had Don Bacon said I trust our legal system there's checks and balances with the jury judges and appeals President Trump will make his defense and we'll see if it's a part partisan prosecution or not so he was basically like well, let's see Mike Flood right. said this moment is unprecedented in our country's history Speaker McCarthy is already already been taking steps to ensure this isn't politically motivated. I'll be watching closely as the judicial process plays itself out. Then you got Deb Fisher who takes it kind of another further step. The American people are tired of politically motivated prosecutions when there are big issues like crime, inflation, drugs, and poor southern border impacting communities every single day. Um, and then Pete Ricketts said, Nebraskans rightly have serious questions about our justice system being weaponized against political opponents. And then, you know, kind of went on about that whole thing. So those are the ones I was able to find. It was interesting to kind of see that spectrum from Bacon on one side to Ricketts on the other side. Um, and then not necessarily because every everybody in the halls. I don't know. What's that like, Joe, when when there's something that happens in in one of these, you know, one of these uh, in, in D.C. and you're in the office buildings in Rayburn or whatever it is over there. And everybody wants everyone to comment on this one single thing. What's that? I'm sure, I'm sure you're kind of familiar with what that's been like. Well, it, it, depending on the the, uh, the actual issue, uh, it can range from uh, a calm media storm <laughs> to an insane media storm. Yeah. And I think I think anybody who's watched the uh, Santos uh, issue over the yes. past uh, year or so, oh my that gosh. was the insane media storm. Uh, Usually it's a bit more uh, uh, low-key. I do remember one time, uh, this is in the past couple of years, maybe three or four years ago, uh, Senator Fisher was walking down the halls of the Capitol, and, and, and a couple of reporters were trying to get her to comment on something, and you know, eventually she just kind of walked into the door and closed the door behind her. It wasn't, you know, it was repeatedly asking the same question. Senator Fisher, could you comment on this? And she would, what I can to be honest with you, I'm not sure what the issue was yeah. off the top of my head, but she wouldn't comment on it. But usually it's relatively calm reporters, you know, scurrying to try to get sound bites from, you know, whether it's the, the speaker McCarthy or, or the congressperson from their, uh, the, their local area that they're trying to, you know, get a comment from. It's, it's usually relatively calm, but that, the, but the Santos thing was insanity. Yeah. That was just crazy. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen, seen some of it. I think the strategy, the strategy is if you're a, uh, if you're the member of the House or the Senate is to pull out the old cell phone and act like you're calling, act like you're talking on the phone to someone. <laughs> yes, that I, does happen a lot. I think that's yeah. been a very frequent way. Yeah. Hey, can you be quiet? I'm trying to talk to somebody <laughs> right here. It, it is, but it is interesting. I mean, at at very least, even within the Nebraska delegation, and and certainly if we if there are other reactions or things that are said, we'll both be reporting those. I'm I'm sure if we are made aware of any other ones, but it is kind of interesting just to see the 
the the difference <laughs> the difference right now in in on the on the actual day of the indictment what's said what's not said and this probably goes even beyond the Nebraska delegation too I mean I saw like Mike Rounds from South Dakota had some you know very some con- concerned things to say about the the allegation not you know concerned in what might have happened um, with that whole thing and there are some other Republicans and of course you know then there are there are those who are saying the same things that Fisher and Ricketts were saying last time and so there's a little bit more division I think with with this one than there was the last one probably I would you know um, in terms of commenting about the about the president I mean even when he was president there were Republicans who said they wished that he would back off on Twitter. Uh, that some of the comments they didn't they didn't see a need for that. Even they've talked about that then, uh, and and they've kind of I think that's sort of been ramped up. That you know they didn't like his. Uh, if you'll recall, a lot of Republicans complained they didn't like his uh, handling of the first debate against Biden, mm-hmm. where he was very dismissive and argumentative. And then the second debate was quite different. But but there were Republicans who complained about Trump's handling of that first debate, who still to this day complain about his handling on social media comments that he makes. But that's about where it stops. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't usually go much further than that in terms of because they always talk about what they thought were the great policies of the Trump administration. Um, and and they are very careful. And it's obviously because they're they're, they're worried about the, how the base would would take it. The Trump base, they're very careful to not go too far in their in their uh, criticism of the former president. Have, have you ever seen, you've covered a lot of primary elections in your life, you know, local and, and maybe national. Too. Have you ever seen a situation where a, a, a primary candidate has gives you sort of an in to be critical of them um, or to use on the campaign trail and those primary opponents are so reluctant to use it? Usually, I mean, usually it is, you know, everything goes in these races, but I'm sometimes been amazed, like, like, uh, what, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, he's, he's going to Miami for this whole thing yeah. to, to like, you know, make a point that it's wrong and, and all of those things. It's, it's, I don't know. I kind of don't know, maybe other than DeSantis, if anybody else is really trying to win this thing against him. Maybe they're going to be the vice president. Maybe that's what it is. Well, you've I'm not got, sure. you've got. Basically, you've got uh, the former New Jersey governor, Chris Christie, right. and the former Arkansas governor, uh, Hutchinson, who have uh, – they, they have no problem criticizing. They're being critical, but they don't seem viable to win, probably. Well, at the moment, the only one yeah. that seems viable to win is DeSantis. Yes. And uh, everybody else is in the you know, low single digits. Sure. Uh, now, uh, folks like Christie think that can change over time. Because uh, I mean, it's very, we're pretty early here in the in the season. I mean, you know, the, I was you know in Hampshire there next year February. Mm-hmm. We've got months to go. Um, but usually, but you know, and I don't know. I don't think this is going to change. But this, but usually primaries work like this. Uh, in the beginning of a primary battle, nobody wants to really criticize the other person. Okay. They're very careful about that. You can go back to uh, the last governor's race in Nebraska. Initially. They were very all the candidates running for governor were you know they they, they complained about you know Democrats on in the national government uh, they uh, you know big governments you get, can't have big government they were very careful not to criticize each other 
Then as the race gets closer to the finish line, that's when everything hits the fan. Now, in that governor's race, it hit the fan a bit earlier than that because of all the allegations regarding uh, Mr. Herbster that, that popped up with, with Senator Slum and all that. So that, that came a little bit earlier. But if you, if, if you could have eliminated that issue from that race, it would have been a closer. You would have got closer to March and April before the, before the fur really started the flight. Primaries. The candidates are very careful. They don't, they don't, nobody wants to talk about anything bad about anybody at first. Then they realize who's ahead and what it's going to take to, for them to get ahead, and that's when things break loose. Yeah, yeah, and so maybe we're just early early in the whole process. Uh, real quick, I, w- I wanted to ask you um, sort of what your your thoughts and analysis are on how the state as a whole or, or in different sections is going to look at this petition drive when it comes to the uh, legislative bill um, that that gave tax credits for scholarship donations to private schools. A lot of times, and, and I'm especially curious kind of with your your closeness to Omaha on this, a lot of times this was kind of described as a bill that was about Omaha or that impacted Omaha significantly diff- differently than other parts of the state. Is that, is that, do you understand that? Is that, is that a sentiment that you share and understand about that bill? And how do you think that plays into a potential statewide vote on this whole thing? It's an interesting dynamic, Jack, because, uh, and the reason Omaha, the argument is that it's an Omaha bill is the private schools that exist for the most part are in the Omaha uh, area. Uh, you get you get out west, and you just don't see those schools. I had a, 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 a email correspondence with Senator Tom Brandt, who uh, was one of those present not voting. Uh, I think there were four present not voting Republicans on the on that piece of legislation, mm-hmm. and um, and I asked him, you know, why did he why did he vote present not voting as opposed to voting against it or for it? And uh, he basically says that uh, uh, it's pretty clear he he doesn't. He doesn't favor the legislation. In fact, he told me he doesn't believe, quote, we should be spending taxpayer dollars on private schools that are not required to take every kid that walks in the door. And he went on to tell me that uh, in his district, District 32, there's 8,000 public school kids and less than 300 private school children. So he doesn't, you know, he doesn't see as a conservative Republican uh, that issue, you know, resonating in his district. Now, that. Uh, plenty of Republicans voted for that for that bill who don't really have many private schools. Some don't have any, I, I think, in their districts. Uh, so, so yeah, the bill is clearly benefits uh, uh, Omaha probably more than any place else in the state. Um, and it will be interesting to see if, if um, a, on a petition drive, if you know, conservative Nebraskans from, you know, West Nebraska and central Nebraska where those schools don't exist. Are they going to sign the petition? Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's gotta be what the petition drive is banking on is you've got to get obviously re- Republican votes on this. Um, and that's, I think probably where they're, they're banking on getting them in those places, which is just, it's just a totally unique, that issue brings a really different political dynamic than you would say, see well, for maybe a state's politics upside down. Yeah. You've got, you've got Republicans looking to Omaha, Republicans who support that legislation, looking to Omaha basically right. to say it's okay, right. as opposed to their conservative base in West saying it's not. It's it's it is it's, it's right. Got the issue on o- its head. Yes, Omaha and probably a little bit Lincoln too. Uh, I know it's yeah. a bit of a different situation in Lincoln, but there are a lot of lot of schools in in that situation here in Lincoln too. So, um, 
Yeah, that, that'll be fascinating to see how that comes out. Of course, they got to get the signatures first, and that's always not a given either with petition drives uh, right. here at this point, which we've learned. All right. Hey, great stuff, Joe. Always appreciate the conversation. We will do it again next Tuesday. Have a good one, all right? Take care, Jack. Appreciate it. Yep. Joe Jordan, News Channel, Nebraska. 726. We will grab a break. Caleb's got a full check of sports coming up right after this. you listen to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. Got an opinion on the latest Huskers game? Fire off with a voice message in the free KLIN app. I'm Chris Law. It's time to count them down. The five things you'll be talking about today. This is the Morning Drive, presented by Stonebridge Insurance and Wealth Management on 1499.3 KLIN. All right. Mark Vale out on vacation. Caleb Henry in here with me today in the KLIN studio. So he's going to get us going today on your morning drive. Number five. With the indictment of President Donald Trump dominating headlines today, there are still questions about how this will all impact the 2024 elections. For Trump's party, says not much. Trump sees no case in which he'd drop out. The former president says he sees no case that he'd be dropping out of that race. His remarks came in a new interview as he faces multiple legal challenges, including that recent federal indictment over his alleged mishandling of classified documents. He also called the indictment a disgrace. Charges against Trump do not disqualify him from running for president. Well, yeah, can you even imagine, given the position that he's, he's taken on this, that this is essentially a... A, a, a tool that people are using him to keep him from winning the election. Of course, he's not going to. I mean, if that's truly what he believes, he's going to keep fighting this thing. And even if it means, hey, these are the consequences of this, I'm still going to going to run. Again, to me, to me, the pace at which this case goes is really important in terms of what the lasting impact is going to be. Because obviously it could ha- get done, you know, in some fact. Assuming it goes to a trial, which I think I think it's going to. Assuming it's get in- unless it gets thrown out or something else happens procedurally, could it get done before primary voting starting starts? So, you know, I'm not sure when the Iowa caucuses are. Probably what, February, I would think, if it gets done in-, in that time. Maybe it's late January. That'd be pretty quick. But perhaps could happen. Federal courts can move fast. It depends how many kind of interlocutory appeals that you've got throughout the whole thing and those sorts of things. Or could it happen in between the primary and the general and get resolved one way or another there? And, and I mean, the really interesting question is, what if there's a conviction at that point? Right. I, you know? That's, I mean, that's the worst, that's probably the worst scenario politically for him is that if it happens between the primary and the general and there would be some kind of a, some kind of a conviction so that my, comes down from that. My court. question is, the charges do not disqualify him from running, but would a conviction disqualify it would, him? It wouldn't disqualify him necessarily. Okay. Um, but then you've got, I mean, then you've got all kinds of weird questions that are, unprecedented in this country like so let's say he's convicted what are we doing with the sentencing right Uh if he's going to be running for president uh or here's even another scenario let's say this thing really drags on it wouldn't be completely unprecedented for uh, a legal action like this to take over a year what if he wins the thing that's right 
um, and all and and all of those questions as well. And then the other things that even you know, there's more tertiary things that you could go. What, say he gets convicted and he doesn't end up winning the presidency, but like DeSantis does. What, is there a pardon situation that's going on here? Some of the candidates have been asked about that. There are so many. There's so many different scenarios in terms of when this thing resolves itself mm-hmm. and how it could very differently have political impacts on that 2024 race. Very much so. So, yeah, that's a. But some of them are crazy. I mean, like some of them are just crazy. Like, yeah, like you said, like what if this thing is coming down and in August of 2024, a little over a year from now. The timing is going to be so vital. On in the this. middle, which is in the middle of the like the Republican convention. Oh wow! Oh jeez! Right? I mean, just goes can, up and oh, accepts the nomination. Can you imagine those things overlaid against each other, where the trial is going on while while you're about to nominate him and have the celebration for him as the candidate for president? I just so what what happens? It's dragging out. It's taking a long time. Donald Trump is elected to a second term next November. And then in December, the trial wraps up. And they do convict. And obviously, it gets appealed. Is he sworn in while while his conviction is still going like through I the said, appeal? This is a bit... <laughs> There's a lot. There are so many scenarios. Right. There's nothing... There's nothing in the Constitution that prevents somebody who's been charged or convicted from seeking or taking office. Okay. Or if you, this isn't in this case, but on, if there are civil ones that, that would bar someone. So it's, you know, th- the list of qualifications in the Constitution is pretty exclusive, and it doesn't include that. So it doesn't affect your ability to run as a candidate, to appear on the ballot, or win the election, either a, either... <laughs> I mean, you want to get really crazy with this scenario? Well, you get really crazy with this scenario. <laughs> Let's say, what, July or August, he gets convicted, and there's a sentence that includes incarceration. During the last portion of, yes. the, of the campaign. Could, could he run for president from jail in that scenario? I'm not saying this is going to happen, but all of the... The sort of ways that this could go are crazy. Wait, wait, so, so let's if that were to happen, a conviction doesn't disqualify it. No, no, no. no so, and let's say that does happen. He is elected. What happens when he's supposed to get sworn in? That's a great question. I don't know. Guess what? That's not something I had ever thought about before in my life, Caleb. So that I don't know. That I don't have an answer for you on exactly. But all I can tell you is he's not dis- he's not disqualified. Right. There'd be some logistical challenges, I would think. That's that's the absolute crazy pants scenario yes. out of this whole thing. So the timing. Anyway, gotta watch it. Buckle up. <laughs> you thought 2016 was crazy. You thought 2020 was crazy. You thought any- this is this uh, could take it to a whole new level. <laughs> Number four. Well, not only are they getting the old Pershing Center mural out at Wyuka Cemetery, well, they're also seeking some zoning changes in order to build an all-inclusive playground on the cemetery land. There's a really good write-up in the journal Star from Margaret Reist. 
So they're going to put a. So that it's just going to be another way to sort of draw people out there and sort of position this as a as a gathering space, as a recreational space that that goes along with that. Yeah, they're trying to. Uh, they they have three lots near the southwest corner of North Thirty Fifth and Q Streets. Right. That's near the Gatehouse Row. Um, that they they're trying to get. There's some zoning issues. They want to get restored. They're asking for the lots to be rezoned from residential to public use so that they can make that part of their uh, their restoration how, project. A legit question here. I wonder how... Waiuka is a cemetery, right? Yeah. Uh, and, well, and that, that's the thing. I always... Because I just moved here a few years ago, it's Waiuka Cemetery. Right. But it's also Lincoln's they, oldest park. Right. And they've got... They've got that the chapel there. They've got you know they do they do a lot of things over there. It'll be interesting to kind of see how widely something that is like that is used when it's it's in. I mean, it's associated with cemetery mm-hmm. essentially because mm-hmm. typically you wouldn't say, "Hey, let's go hang out at the at the cemetery." Well, we right? wouldn't now, but. That's right. how parks got started. Yeah, like that's that's the origination of the parks. Where I get you, it because those were the only green spaces R- that you could go gather. I get it, but the perception has sort of changed. Oh, very of, much of so. that whole thing. Very much um, so. And so it'll be it'll be interesting. But they're making it a more. I mean, they're putting the getting the mural there, putting this kind of stuff in is definitely shooting to make it even more of a of a non. You know, non-cemetery related gathering space mm-hmm. that goes along with this. I just wonder kind of if it would feel physically separated from that part of it or not. I don't know. Uh, or if that matters. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't at all. Right. But I'm fascinated to see what this whole thing is. And they got a bunch of money last year from the Unicameral from the uh, the ARPA funds. Okay. Like over a million dollars to put towards revamping the pond. Hey, I, I'll continue to say this about that about that mural. For for me personally. And again, I I may not quite be of the of the generation that this is most that is most passionate about this. Like for me personally, if the mural went, the mural went. But I but I don't I'm not I don't want to see it go necessarily. I'm glad, but I know there were people who were really passionate about it, who dedicated all kinds of time to this, did all kinds of fundraising. So for them, and this thing had the pitfall. Remember, it was supposed to be at the Lancaster Event Center, mm-hmm. and that whole thing fell through. Um, and then there were obviously a lot of lot of issues that naturally come up with a project that this intricate. But it it looks like they finally kind of got to the finish line for this thing, which you didn't know if they would. And so I'm I'm happy for them. Um, it'll be interesting to see, like I said, kind of what that whole area looks like and how it's used. Number three. Well, Nebraska softball could be getting a pretty big transfer coming in. A two-time national champion, two-time All-American, and was just named the most valuable player of the Women's College World Series. Jordy Ball, originally out of Papillion La Vista, announced on social media yesterday she was entering the transfer portal to, quote, closer to home. Okay, so I know we have sort of a short period of time that we're talking about the history of the transfer portal, and people transferred prior to that, but it was generally harder to do, and it didn't happen as often. Caleb, can you think of anything comparable to a top 10 player in a sport, and if you want to, if you're thinking more about football, a Heisman candidate, basically, who just won a national championship was the MVP of that championship, 
was the star of that championship, that national championship, doing any... Is there anything that you can even think of that's close to that? There's there's stuff that's close, but it's still not at this level. The, the close becomes some of the football transfers that you've seen of All-American guys so, over the last couple of the, years. The one I keep thinking of is Caleb Williams yep, a couple years back. That would be it. The, going, and then winning the Heisman there. But um, yeah. You might think in women's basketball, Haley Van Lith, who had a... Would, did they make the Final Four? Or was it the Elite Eight Louisville. with Louisville and transferring to LSU? But, but transfer to the championship. Yeah, you're, you're team. transferring to the championship team. Like, there's, there's uh, nothing like this. I don't think in college sports. Maybe if you, unless it's at a lower level or something. Well, if you went way back and maybe had Tommy Frazier, MVP of the Orange Bowl, transfer some transfer away from Nebraska. Well, yeah, if you had that, well, yeah. Well, but, if yeah. you had that, but like there are scenarios. I don't think that, you do though. There are scenarios that you could build, but that just. This hasn't happened. This type of a transfer, and no, it's not official that ball is going to Nebraska. But she said per- she was coming home. We think we think that's what's happening. Yeah, we, we think it's it's going to be Nebraska, and Ronda Ravel is going to be the beneficiary of one of the best pitchers in the country, who is really close to being the national player. Maybe of the in year. baseball. Maybe something like this has happened in baseball. Maybe. I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think this is completely unprecedented in college sports. A completely unprecedented transfer situation. And and it looks like Nebraska is going to be the benefit of the the most uh, unique transfer situation or one uh, at least a situation that's unprecedented so, in this whole thing. So there, there's not really anything that's on this level. It's not a great comparison with any other transfers. Yeah, I can't. I mean, maybe we'll find one. Maybe somebody will bring one up. But... You go from there and you say, what would this mean for Nebraska? Immediately, preseason number one in the Big Ten. You are the Think so? you are the favorite out the gate. Because of Northwestern was really good this year. Because of the position that she plays and all of the other talent that comes back, you had you had all Americans, you had uh, all Big Ten players already on this team. And what was your greatest need? It's someone in the circle. And not just somebody coming in that's, okay, well, they're going to be able to go at least 75% of the time, and we really need to pick up these other. No, you have one of the best pitchers in the country who is only played two years in college. Mm-hmm. That is a position that immediately makes Nebraska the favorite in the Big Ten Conference. That immediately puts Nebraska in the conversation for, can they get a national seed yeah. in the postseason? Yeah. Hasn't it been kind of interesting, too, how many of Nebraska's best high, th- high school athletes who left the state for for their their sport have either decided to come back or at least leave and go someplace different from where they initially went? Mm-hmm. It's bad. I mean, and again, maybe a function of the transfer portal, but you can think of a... I mean, basketball, we just had Hunter, Hunter Salas and Isaac Trout. Maybe the two most celebrated basketballs over the last five years, along with Chucky Hepburn. Yeah. And there were rumors that he might do it too. He didn't. But it, that's been kind of interesting. It's just been a lot of a lot of players that did go away. Aren't, and Trout came back. He went to Creighton. Right. And Salas went across the country. But it's, it's just kind of a, a fascinating side thing with this whole thing. The, the thing that's that really nice about this as you get into that broader picture of athletes coming out of the state of Nebraska, there's a lot of really quality talent. And because of 
There's there are a lot of ills about social media, but there are also some things about the discoverability of this ta- of the talent that is here in the state. Yeah. And that's why big programs are finding the really great athletes that are here in Nebraska. Here in Lincoln as well. Not not just other places in the state, but here in Lincoln there's some pretty good kids. Yep. All right, moving on. Number 2. Pat Sajak retiring as the Wheel of Fortune host. He he announced on yesterday, on Monday, his retirement, saying, quote, Well, the time has come. I've decided that our 41st season, which begins in September, will be my last. It's been a wonderful ride. I'll have more to say in the coming months. Many thanks to you all. If nothing else, I'll keep the clickbait sites busy. And quote, so far, no word on whether Vanna White will also retire. She and Sajak's contracts both expire at the end of the 41st season. So where does Pat Sajak rank among the greatest game show hosts of all time? And Jack, will you continue watching Wheel of Fortune? I wasn't watching. I haven't been watching. I just figured it. you were in that. I don't even know what time it's on. It was on like 4.30, 4. I don't know. It used to be. Uh, it used to be. I remember my grandma and grandpa would come stay with us sometimes when my parents were out of town and they were they were religious wheel of fortune watchers they were always were watching wheel of fortune so that's probably the biggest thing that i remember is actually watching it with my parents and this would have been like in the in the late 80s that that we were doing it uh-huh. it's been running since 1981 wow so oh yeah and there's also like usa today already has like a slideshow on who are the the possible Replacements. You know what one of the suggestions was? One of the first ones? Vanna White. Yeah. Move, move Vanna up, up on the depth chart. A spot from uh, letter flipper to host. Other names that were floated. LeVar Burton. Uh, John Michael Higgins. Scott Rogowski. Oh, my gosh. Scott Rogowski. He was the guy who did HQ Trivia. You remember that app? Wayne Brady. Michael Strahan have all been mentioned for possible replacements. Well, it's you go through so, just the the number of changes that have happened over the last couple of years, and obviously you had the change at Jeopardy, Jeopardy, and and then a it's few been years, years ago, ago. Price is Right with Bob Barker. So, yeah, those have been those were kind of the big three. Mm-hmm. It felt like I always liked Tic Tic Tac Doe with Wink Martindale. Wait, what is that? Tic Tac Doe. Look it up. You're too. You're too. Young for that one. That was, a, that was my favorite game show as a kid. Tic Tac. They ought to bring Tic Tac Doe back. Yeah, it's basically Tic Tac Toe, uh-huh. but you had to answer trivia questions, and there was a little dragon that came up sometimes. It was great. Where's Good the stuff. dough come from? Dough money. Tic Tac oh, Doe oh, for money. Yeah, I was thinking like, dough. No, no, it's not Homer Simpson. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> There's a new rock single coming out soon from a band that might surprise you, The Beatles. Sir Paul McCartney <laughs> says he has employed artificial intelligence to help create what he calls the final Beatles record. He told BBC Radio 4's Today program the technology he used to extricate John Lennon's voice from an old demo so he could complete the song. Quote, we just finished it up and it'll be released this year. And quote, Sir Paul did not name the song, but it's likely to be a 1978 Lennon composition called Now and Then. Okay, so evidently in the 90s, Yoko Ono's going through John Lennon's stuff. She finds a tape that he had made that said For Paul on it. Okay. And it was him. He basically took a boom box as he sat at a piano and sang these songs. And so they were able to take the AI and there was there was other 
there were, I think, guitar, piano on it. And so they basically were able to take AI with that cassette tape and remove all of the sounds that weren't his voice. And so they just got a clean track with his voice, although it was of the quality that you would get recording on a boombox. Right. And they and, and, and so they, they did that whole thing. Now, they did this, remember, in the mid-90s, they released Free as a Bird and Real Love, and that was that huge thing when they released that anthology. Um, and that was their first new material in 25. They thought about doing this song at that point, but they didn't have it completely um, they didn't have it completely written and the backing stuff that they had on this tape made it really hard to do. Okay. So they did never do it, but now with AI, they think they can do it. And so wow. the Beatles final song will be uh, will be coming. And and approved by Paul McCartney. Alright. I mean I'm just Does Ringo have a say in this? I'm just interested to hear how it actually sounds. I've heard some AI stuff. So th- this is funny. Sir Paul claimed George Harrison refused to work on the sound, saying the sound quality of Lennon's voice was rubbish. This was in the 90s when they were redoing it. said it didn't have a good title. It needed re- reworking. It had a beautiful verse and had John singing in it. But George didn't like it. The Beatles being a democracy, we didn't do it. But now that George is dead, I guess it's okay. The votes are gone. <laughs> 757, that is it for your sound off. Brought to you by Stonebridge Insurance and Wealth Management on KLIN. When you live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at 44th and O, morning radio for the entire capital city. This is Ella and K today with Jack and Friends on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, welcome back on your Tuesday morning. 57 degrees, sunny skies. And uh, this weekend got a uh, got a big event that we've been associated with and uh, partnered up with through Broadcast House for uh, for a lot of years. Event I've been to at the various locations. It's been throughout the years. It's the Lincoln Arts Festival, and uh, we've got it going on here this weekend. And so we wanted to hear a little bit about that. And so thought we would bring in Troy, Troy Gagner, the executive. Uh, director of Lincoln Arts, and uh, how you doing, Troy? Good to doing see you. Right. How you been? Good. Uh, Thanks for having me. Good. Uh, yeah, this is a, a, a long time event. Just kind of, just generally, obviously, the name is Lincoln Arts Festival, and Lincoln Arts Council has been doing this. But tell us a little bit about what the idea of this event is and how it's evolved over the years. Well, the event's now twenty-two years yeah. old, and uh, for the first eighteen years, it was held out at South Point. South in Point, the yeah. yeah. I remember doing it on South Point. In yeah, previous so years. it was it was it was a bit smaller then. Um, we were we were somewhat confined, so it was more of a an art sale than really a festival at, mm-hmm. at that point. And then a few years ago. They were doing construction. We were taking up too much space, and um, so it was time to look for a new home. We moved downtown in 2019 and co-located with the Lincoln Calling Music Festival at that point. Um, that loca- The partnership was great. The location for us was just difficult, and so uh, we decided that we needed a different downtown location. You know, 2020 hit, and like everybody else, we just canceled. Yeah. Uh, so for the, this is the third year we'll be in the Haymarket along Canopy Street and, and in the rail yard. Cool. And what is that location? allowed you to kind of do and how has it evolved the festival a little bit well it's it's given us more space um and it's it's really moved us into a location that you know people want to come down and wander through because it's in the hay market mm-hmm. and on saturday morning we've got the farmer's market going on right next door that's so right. that's great for us yeah. as well uh but what it's done it's it's allowed us to really add 
more art activities for the family. It's allowed us to add more live music and other interactive art experiences along with our selling artists that are along the street. Um, So I know one of the things that's important to you is that it's been free and it continues to be free. Exactly. I mean, our our mission at Lincoln Arts is is about arts access and arts opportunities. And so a lot of our programming is is really based around... um, Providing access to the arts for populations that don't necessarily get that access, populations that are under-resourced. And so we, you know, we bring that forward with the festival as well. So it's, it's, there's no admission fee. It's free to get into. Anybody can come down, meet the artist, uh, purchase art, uh, or just take part in the interactive art activities or get something to eat or listen to some music. So Friday night and Saturday night, we'll have a Lincoln Calling Music Showcase uh, in the rail yard. So I think altogether, we've got eight or nine bands on those two nights. And so it's just an opportunity to come down and get a sample of kind of all the arts. Yeah, I was going to say, all the, you've got visual, you've got music, you've got food, culinary arts, I suppose. It's kind of all combined in this. It, it really is. I mean, that, that's kind of our goal is is for this to be a showcase of all of the arts in the city of Lincoln. And so it's, you know, it is heavy on the visual arts, but we do try to bring everything into it. And uh, and things for it. And, and it's a show there. But people can buy people can come find stuff that they like there. Is that possible, too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we'll have uh, about 90 selling artists, 10 yeah. of which are part of our emerging artist program. But, you know, artists come in and we've got art at price points from 10 to 15 dollars all the way up to, you know, several thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it depends on the artist and the medium and, and sure. what they do. But, you know, there is something for everybody. Yeah. So you can you can either just come and browse or maybe you can pick up something. Something, uh, something to put in your house or to decorate or have as part of your own collection. Absolutely, and, and and we do have a lot of people come down specifically uh, yeah. for for that purpose, and people that come down to visit artists that they've met in previous years and come back to see what what they have. A lot of other folks just come down with you know no particular intentions of what they're going to do, but they find something that they like and take it home and. Yeah, so there's lots of opportunities. When you talk about these visual artists who are kind of showing their wares for this thing, how do they how do they get connected with this and and uh how much does this kind of help them just get exposed out there and get their stuff to people who might not otherwise see it? Well, it it does that um really well for I mean our local artists, but then we bring artists in from around the country. So, of our 90 or so artists, uh they come from 14 states. Oh, okay. Um only about um 25, 27 are from the state of Nebraska. About half of those so are from get Lincoln, and, and the yeah. rest are from from around the, the state of Nebraska. But a lot of our artists will travel and kind of do the festival circuit over the summer. Gotcha. And so, you know, they'll start in April, May, depending on, you know, where they are, and, and they'll travel through the circuit either every weekend or every couple of weekends all the way into October, and then they go back home in the fall and the winter, and they create more art, so they've got something so to sell. So you some people who are and experienced at, you know, Making people the things want oh. that, that making things that people want and have bought at these types absolutely of shows. and you know one of, one of the arts that most people don't get to see is the art of these traveling artists and how they pack their trailers and cars and unpack them and get set up for Got these a system, festivals right? it yeah they are you know most of the time you see them roll up and they're packed full there's room for one person in the car <laughs> and the rest of it's art and tents and all the display materials I bet um, okay so the timing of of when it happens when when exactly does it run here. So it will start, actually, we'll have a Lincoln Calling Music Showcase um, on Friday night that will go from about 6, six to about 10, and okay. then the festival itself kicks off 
uh, Saturday morning at 9 a.m. So we start about an hour after the farmer's market yeah. does. Uh, that goes till uh, 6 p.m. And we actually have the, another Lincoln Calling Showcase that will go from 3.30 to about 11 that night. Okay. And then again on Sunday, we're open from 10 to 4. So music Friday night, Saturday night, and then the art can be, art is going to be displayed throughout the day, Saturday and, in, and Sunday Absolutely. as well. Absolutely, and all the art activities go on all day, Saturday and Sunday, so you can come down and watch glass blowing demonstrations, or you can get involved in an activity where it might be a little take and make, so you can take you know make something small and take it with you when you leave. And, and as the glass blowing stuff is incredible, I could just sit and watch that all day. <laughs> really, it, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's fun to watch, and we've had them. Um, we've had uh, Lincoln Hot Glass down with us a, a couple of times and once they brought this portable kiln which was fun but i think we've got a torch artist but what's great is because they don't bring all their equipment a lot of times they'll sit there they'll blow some some amazing stuff and then because they don't have the equipment to temper it they'll just break the glass right there and you can kind of watch that <laughs> really so it's pretty it's pretty fun to watch the whole process from creation to destruction within about three minutes um <laughs> and, and i assume this is a family-friendly place it'll be entertaining for kids to come there and kind Abs- of see the whole process absolutely too. yeah we've got activities that are geared towards kids so uh, they can come down and have a good time and, you know, lots of snacks <laughs> for kids as well. That's so. good. That's good. Yeah. And, and I guess you, we mentioned the food, but yeah, what else should people know about the food that'll be available there? Well, we've got several food trucks that are coming down both Saturday and Sunday. And then we're working with a, a couple of partners can cater. Um, we'll have uh, beer taps down there and then we're working with Glacial Till. Uh, they actually uh, created a, a special uh, cider for the festival. Oh, cool. it's, it's a grapefruit cider. We did a competition for the label with the lo- with local artists, and so oh. they created a, a great new label for the cider that's just available short term for the festival. And so we had a chance last Thursday night. We had a patron. Uh, program event which and these are folks that that pre-purchase what we call art bucks uh mm-hmm. so you can come down and spend them at the festival but we were able to introduce the cider then and it, it got some really good reviews at, at uh, that event so we're excited to see uh how people uh or how interested people are in the in this new cider very cool and caleb we have some of those art bucks to give away right is we, that right we do people yeah. can can enter on yeah. our on our text line uh 402-479-1400 just text art A-R-T, art, and we've got a... $50 Fifty dollars in art bucks. Yeah, Correct. Very cool. What is, and how does those how do those work exactly? Well, basically, you, you you use them like cash. Okay. Um, you go, you uh, find an artist that has something you like, uh, agree with them on a price, and then you can use this uh, these art bucks as cash. Pay the rest with cash, credit card, mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, almost all of our artists can take cards. Sure. So, um, but yeah, it's it's really it's it's a way that helps us market the festival to traveling artists if they know we have a robust. Uh, patron program like this gotcha. where there's kind of a, a guarantee that a certain amount of money will be passing hands at the festival and then and then i wanted to ask more generally just kind of about the lincoln art arts council too i think this is probably the touch point that a lot of people in the public have with you and we talk about it every single year but what are you doing the rest of the year you talked about kind of that exposure to the arts that you're trying to get for the the entirety of these communities we're all about arts access and arts opportunity. And and as I mentioned, it's access for under-resourced populations. So we do a lot of programming year-round uh, through uh, kind of an umbrella name that we call Upstart. Uh, we started out working with, with LPS and Title I schools, and we've grown it from there. So this year, 
um, including some grants that we did to some other organizations. We'll have about 109 projects around the city where we're working in LPS schools. Uh, we're working in community learning centers. Uh, we do a lot of work with other uh, human service nonprofits that serve under-resourced populations. So uh, places like Autism Family Network, Cedars Youth Services, the Bridge Behavioral Health. Kind of the idea is that you know, in a lot of these cases, the arts are very therapeutic and, mm. and help with that. And so we we work with a lot of organizations that work with populations that are in, you know, some sort of therapy setting. But then we also work with uh, organizations that serve populations that, that don't necessarily get access. So people with developmental disabilities, the elderly, um, you know, new Americans, immigrant population as well. And so kind of the idea being that we want to give everybody that access to the the great arts community in the city of Lincoln. And in some cases it's, um, you know, kind of the reverse. We would also like access to the art that these families bring with them when they move to Lincoln yeah. in the case of, of a lot of the immigrant populations that we have. And so we're excited about those opportunities too. So we do that. We do, um, a number of other events around the city, uh, partnering with Lincoln calling and, and others to do that. And, um, one last thing that we're working on now is actually a creative district certification for kind of the core of downtown. Um, if you look at downtown and you just do a, a map of all the arts and culture assets, um, there's probably not a higher concentration of them in the state of Nebraska than there is the southern end of campus and into downtown. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so um, this is a certification from the state of Nebraska that will allow us actually to pursue some additional funding. But the idea is to really start to develop more arts-based programming in that area to bring more people down to the core of downtown um so that's the you know the venues the music venues at 14th and O. that's the lead center in the sheldon sure. on campus that's the rococo um there's lots of other opportunities um in kind of the core of downtown and we're hoping that this will help us you know fill some empty spaces even if it's a program temporarily with the arts uh, so there's uh, some opportunities there but you know we're hoping that eight ten years from now people in lincoln on a friday night will not have plans and say, what do you mm -hmm. want to do? Well, let's just go down and see what's going on. We'll find yeah. something to do. I think I know what your answer to this is, but how do you see Lincoln as kind of how robust are they with, with is are we when it comes to the arts? I think we're quietly robust, truthfully. Yeah. You know, like everybody in Lincoln, I think, you know, it's Lincoln's a bit of a sports town. And mm -hmm. so you hear that a lot. And I think a lot of the artists and arts organizations kind of work quietly in the background to, uh, you know, build up these amazing opportunities that we have in Lincoln. And it's something that we probably need to um market a little bit more aggressively and so one other thing that that we do is every few years we work with americans for the arts on an arts and economic prosperity study we're doing that right now so we collect um, interviews from people that are leaving arts events asking them about their spending and then oh. we and then we do surveys oh. with arts organizations asking about their budgets and and um you know what they're investing back in this community so the last one that was done uh data was collected i think 2015 16 released in 2017 just the nonprofit art sector in the city of Lincoln had an annual economic impact on the city of Lincoln of $99 million. Really? And, oh. and again, that's just the nonprofit organizations. Right. And so that's half, about half of that is um, organizational spending. The other half is um, spending by people attending arts events outside of ticket sales. So that's, you know, going to dinner, gotcha. buying a new tie, right. know, hiring a babysitter, right. paying for parking, all of those things. Yeah. So that's one of the things that we want to do more of is is to, 
you know, let people in Lincoln and the state of Nebraska know, um, you know, the arts aren't just kind of the frosting on the cake, so to speak. Uh, the arts really are, a, you know, a integral piece of this economic pie that we've got in the city of Lincoln. Yeah. Uh, cool. Interesting assessment. It'd be, it'd be fun to talk about even more with this thing. Well, the festival is coming up, as he said, with uh, music Friday night and then music Saturday night and the arts festival then going on during the day on, on Saturday and Sunday. Anything else people kind of need to know logistically? I know there's no tickets, so you don't need to you know pre-buy tickets or anything like that. Uh, parking, anything else people should know That's about? That's the, the beauty of Canopy Street is parking. There's garages, there's garages right there. everywhere. And it's if you've nice. ever if you've yeah. ever been to Pinnacle Bank Arena, you you know where to park. Yeah. There's thousands of spots, so parking is is easy. Um, after two strangely hot festivals the last two years, the the weather looks yeah. like it's holding for Let's us. See, 84 Friday, 83 Saturday. I right know. Now. Our staff is just, you would not believe how giddy we are about <laughs> about how cool it's going to be because we all nearly well, died last year. So. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's going to be 82 today, and that's right about where it'll be Friday and Saturday, so you'll have an idea, hopefully, if it if it stays there. But that'll be great. We're excited for that. There. Cool. Well, uh, best of luck with the event, Troy. Sounds like a great time. And, and uh, Caleb, repeat how people can and we can get those art bucks via text now. Well, we'll take them in until we get to the bottom of the hour, so about five more minutes. Text ART, A-R-T, to 402-479-1400. We'll pick a winner towards the end of the show. All right, Troy, hey, thanks so much for your time. Come again sometime, and uh, best luck with it this weekend, all right? Thank you very much. Troy Gagner, Lincoln Arts Council. Take a break. It's 824. Caleb's got sports coming up next on Lincoln's News and Talk, 1499.3 KLIN. You're listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, 834, welcome back. LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. So uh, we were talking earlier in the show about Pat Sajak leaving Wheel of Fortune. Mm -hmm. He's going to be retiring after they record this next season. And, um, And it got into the conversation about how the Wheel of Fortune started in 1981. So I thought it was actually earlier than that, but 1981. So it's been, you know, going on, do the math. And that's what, 42 years that, that it's been going on. And so I, I would, I was like, Oh my gosh, that has got to be, that has got to be one of the longest running shows of all time. And I know you pulled this up earlier, not even close. <laughs> it is not even close, but there's a, there's a local tie into that. But does anyone know? Just I know. Say it in your head. Do you know what the length in years? Not necessarily seasons, because seasons can be a little arbitrary with the count of season. Does anyone else have any idea what the longest running actual show is? It is Meet the Press. First broadcast of Meet the Press was November sixth of nineteen forty seven. November 6th of 1947, on NBC the entire time, there have been 3,600 episodes on that. Now, a few months later, only, this is interesting, because only six months later, half a year later, CBS Evening News did their first show. And that's a, obviously that was a daily newscast where Meet the, Meet the Press was, I assume, started weekly. They've, they've got 3,600 shows. CBS Evening News is second and so they've also gone 75 years. And both of those um, are news. And both of them are news. So those are your top, you know, those are your top two both news. There have been Well, do you know the longest running? You probably have it pulled up over there too, but the longest running non-news television program. Well, are you looking at number 3 on this list because that's the only other one I see and I I don't know what it is. 
Music in the Spoken Word. Do you know anything about that? It's a religious radio and television series broadcast weekly from the Salt Lake Tabernacle. Oh, okay. Features performances by their choir at Temple Square. Okay. All right. So that is, so that's a local, so that's a local TV and radio show. Mm -hmm. That's a local TV and show radio in Utah. You're not seeing it here, but. Now I kind of want to. Now I kind of want to check out a few YouTube episodes. Check out the episodes, uh, maybe. the uh, Tabernacle Choir there that they've got at the Salt Lake Tabernacle. Now, okay, so I don't see any of the rest of them. So I'm going to see if I can knock some some more of them off on here. Um, and by the way, that uh, music in the spoken word that that one out in in Salt Lake, October 1949. Okay, so you're a year after CBS News got started. Then I'm going to guess you also have, like, NBC Nightly News is probably on there pretty soon. Um, I'm assuming you've got other evening news shows. Once CBS did it in 1948, i got to think NBC so was close NBC behind. NBC Nightly News wasn't until 1970. Really? CBS did... August 1970. So CBS did Nightly News... Was there any other network, national network doing Because ABC wouldn't have even existed until later down the road. Um, well, the Today started on, on NBC. Okay, and the that, morning. When did yeah, that start? 1952. Okay, so that was, that's interesting. So that was four years after the CBS News, evening news started. And then the next longest uh, program that you have is Backyard Farmer from Nebraska Public Media. <laughs> yes, we've got a logo. <laughs> yes, that's in. 1953. Th- this, if you actually go to the Wikipedia page for the longest running American series, you only have to scroll down, what, seven spots, and you will get to Backyard Farmer on NET, or now called, it's listed as NET, Nebraska Public Media now. That first aired June 1st, 1953. <laughs> that was two, 70 years. Guys, two years before my grandparents were married. That's that's impressive. So they've been running that since 1953. It still runs, I know, because my mom likes to watch it. <laughs> and she'll, <laughs> she'll put it on. But yes, it is the... It is they, now the show claims to be the longest running locally produced program in television history. I don't know. Do the people in Salt Lake City have a qualm with that? Probably. Is there is is there a qualm there? By the way, a couple months after that, then you get ABC World News Tonight. World News Tonight. Yes. So that was in was that in the that was in the fifties September nineteen fifty three. I didn't think that would have been that soon. Okay. And then you go a year later and you get the start of the Tonight Show. Oh, the very original. The okay. very original was Steve Allen. Steve Allen started it in 1954. Can you name all of the Tonight Show oh, hosts? Call. Uh, with Johnny Carson. Yep. Obviously, Jay Leno. Yep. Jack Parr. Yep. Uh, I probably can't do any more than that. Oh, Conan did it for a while. Yep. I don't know who else. Is that it? And then you just get up to... Oh, uh, Jimmy Fallon, currently. That's it. I was thinking I missed another old one. No, there you go. When you bounced back and you got Jack Parr, that, that was the yeah. gap you had to fill in. Conan. So that started... And so that has run... So that's your longest late night show of any of these, and that's 68 years. We're in... A, it's interesting. You're in a... You're in like a seven-year range. All of these got started, obviously. And obviously, that's when technological advances allowed for um, these kind of TV shows to be to be broadcast. Um Okay, and then, then what else do you have? Do you still we don't have any kind of a scripted show or anything like that? It's all so far we have news, 
locally produced religious or news programming is everything so, so, so far. So in 1954, you got this anthology television series, The Wonderful World of Disney. Okay, I remember that. Yep. So that started on ABC back in 54, and it bounced around a few networks since then, still running. Okay. Um, yeah, is that is that still... Is that still a thing that's on? Is it still counting as running as now, though? It says it's still running on ABC. Okay. Really? Is that just when they show a a movie or a special? I don't know if I count that one. I don't know if I count that one, but all right. So we've got that. Uh, then do we have any other new genres in there as we go down? Not new, because you still got Face of the Nation. There's news. Oh, Face of the Nation. Yeah. Um, that was 1954. It is written. So that's, that's a, a religious program. Religious program. The Open yeah. Mind. It's a public television program. Uh, well, how can they call that the longest running public television program? Backyard Farmers got them. <laughs> Backyard Farmers got them by three years. I don't think that's that, that seems right. Okay. And then you get to 1956. Yes. Okay. And you get NFL on CBS. Yeah. All right. <laughs> 56. Wow, that's interesting. So that's before the NFL and the AFL even merged. Yep, it, it's before the merger. By quite a bit. Um, and so that was on See, that, that's in, uh, 14 years before the merger. Okay. And that obviously is, is still on today. CBS still has those rights. So that, that's your longest sports. That's longer, obviously, than Monday Night Football or, or any other regular college football sports mm-hmm. or, or even baseball. Which is interesting. Okay. Um, then what do we get into? Uh, to Tell the Truth. Okay. Started in 56. Divorce Court first aired in 1957. And for the first five, six years, it was in divorce black and white. Divorce Court aired in 1957? 57 they to 62. They had a divorce court show. In, wasn't that scandalous? On black and in, white. In 1957, they ran a syndicated divorce court show. I find that hard to believe. 1960, we get the CBS Sports Spectacular. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know what that... I mean, I I know... I hear that, and I feel like I've seen that before. I mean, I remember ABC used to have Wide World of Sports, but I don't actually know what the CBS Sports Spectacular even is. NBC. Like, is there a show now called that if I look through the listings? Okay. I think they're supposed to. Yes. All right. And then we got... NFL on NBC. Okay. Which is... Which was gone for a while, and then they got Sunday nights. So it actually started. Uh, they it puts it down on here as starting some stuff in thirty nine. Oh my gosh! Holy cow! Grandstand was the original name of the program. October twenty second, nineteen thirty nine. Huh? Yeah, and then it and then they lost the rights. And NBC lost the rights, and then they got them back for Sunday night football mm-hmm. about fifteen years ago. With that. NFL Today, the CBS program, started in 61. Okay. And then there's that. It's it's, it's academic, the Washington, D.C., Baltimore. Quiz Bowl show. Virginia Quiz Bowl high school show. Okay. NASCAR on ABC comes in in 1961. Okay. It's interesting to see just how the sports, you know, just kind of how this, how TV developed over those years because it was... It was news shows. It wasn't even, you know, the ones that lasted at least. It uh-huh. was, it was news shows. It was the Disney stuff. It was the the regular daily night shows, the Tonight Show that went along with that. And then in about 
right? And then the mid-50s, it starts being sports. Yeah. Right in, in the mid-50s and, and then particularly into the early 60s where that NASCAR thing started. PBA started in 1962 on TV. Um, the Professional Bowlers Tour. Or PBT, yeah. PBT, yeah, P- Professional Bowlers. Oh, here yeah, we go. PBA. Now we start to get into the soap operas. Okay, so soap So now we're in what, 1965? 1963. 1963, okay. General Hospital. Okay. General General Hospital gets started there. You start to get some game shows. Let's make a deal in 63. Okay. TV's starting to get fun. Jeopardy in 64. We got sports on TV. Now we got game shows on TV, too. And now we got soap operas on TV. You've got Guiding Light, Days of Our Lives. So Guiding Light started in 52. And went to 09. So that's not, 09. that's so not a no, thing anymore. Yeah, so that no actually running. started earlier. Yeah, it started earlier and, and it stopped uh, 14 years ago. But the other ones, Guiding Light was the longest ones, but General Hospital and Days of Our Lives, this is mid-60s mm-hmm. when those things started. Oh, and then uh, speaking of religious ones and uh, Pat Robertson, who just passed away, the, the 700, 700 Club, Club started in 66 that they got going. I'm trying to see where we just had kind of the next new iteration. There's another. So, like, um, yet as the world turns, that had started in the mid 50s. Um, NFL Films Presents got going in 67. Here's probably the newest, the newest kind of updated where things are on there. Scooby Doo starts in 69. Okay. So that's good. Yeah, be- there hadn't been any long, there might have been cartoons, but nothing long running until that point. That starts in 69. Sesame Street starts starts in 69. Okay, so now we're getting the quality kids program for the first time in the late 60s. Uh, Masterpiece Theater in I mean, 71. Were- okay. Okay. And then by the early 70s, you got, you've got more of those cartoons, and you've got Monday Night Football mm-hmm. at that point. Um, oh, sweet. Nova. How did the NBC seventy four? Why did NBC Nightly News take until nineteen seventy to exist? I don't know. Um, oh, here we go. NBC had an evening broadcast since nineteen forty eight, starting with Camel News Caravan, which lasted until nineteen fifty six, when it was replaced by Nightly News predecessor, the Huntley Brinkley Report. So it was just a different show. Okay, it was a different show. Then and then there's the Price is Right for the first time in nineteen seventy two. This is just, it's just an interesting timeline of. Of TV for this whole thing. Then you start. So now we're into the early 70s. You're getting more game shows. You're getting Joker's Wild. You're getting um, you're getting uh, some more of these PBS shows. You're getting great performances, and you're getting Nova. Family you're, Feud. You're getting, oh, yeah, Family Feud. What year did that start? 76. 76. Okay, and yeah, here we go. So here we go. Wheel of Fortune was a little later in the 80s. That's what brought this whole thing up. And then 1975, Saturday Night Live. There you go. Uh, 1975, Good Morning America. 1976, Austin City Limits. As you said, Family Feud, 1976. Um, uh, Let's see, 2020. See, I thought 2020 was going to go further back. That's 1978. CBS News Sunday Morning, 1979. I thought that went further back. This Old House with Bob Vila, 1979. Oh, here you go. Now you'll start to see the ESPN stuff show okay. up. Okay. Because you got Sports Center starting in 79. Okay, so that's been on for 43 years. It's So now we're starting to get to the shows that are younger than me here at this point. Uh, Nightline started in 1980. Is that still on? Is Nightline still on? I guess so. Yeah, they do have it listed as, as present. Um, 
and then you know continuing to go with with the ones that were starting then in the early eighties. Entertainment Tonight. You had that. You had uh, Frontline on PBS started early eighties. Starting to get some Nickelodeon shows then. National Ge- Geographic Explorer started on Nickelodeon in nineteen eighty five. I do not remember that. Okay. Yeah. Then and then look at here though nineteen eighty seven College Game Day. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There's there's not a the, there's not a ton between and and late night with NBC started with Dave Letterman. I don't think I mentioned that in 1982, and then that went from that that's the later show after the Johnny Carson show, mm-hmm. right? Um, the one after that. But yeah, then you're in. Now you feel pretty modern with this whole thing. Yeah, now shows. you're coming up on stuff that you're getting close to the start of my lifetime. Right. Right. Forty eight hours. Uh, Bold and the Beautiful, another another of the uh, soap operas. NBA on TNT, starting in 1988. Cops in 89. Cops in 89. America's Funniest Home Videos. That's 33 years of that show. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> that's a 33-year-old show. And then, and then there's The Simpsons, finally. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was the show I was thinking. When, you were, when we talked about this at the very beginning, you were like, what's the longest-running show? That was the first one I thought of was The Simpsons, and it took us to go all the way down. We we mentioned about forty shows before <laughs> before we got to The Simpsons. We did on that. It's such an it's now such the an, scripted shows. Most of the scripted shows just haven't lasted as as long. The soap operas have, but did we mention any other like primetime type show in all of that? That's a scripted show. Uh, I don't know that we did. Not really. I don't think we no- noted any other primetime scripted show until we got to The Simpsons. No. I believe. So, yeah. So then you start you start to get those. Well, and the thing about scripted shows is, and this isn't a revelation for anybody, but the scripted shows, you're really following a specific storyline with a lot of those. Yes. Um, when, when you're in the soap operas, it's just, okay, there's a lot of drama happening, but everyone's kind of growing up, and you can continue with, with different changes and revamps. The ones that are going to continue forever, your news and your religion and your sports. Yes. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then 1992, you get on MTV a show called The Real World, <laughs> and that ushered in reality TV. That was... That was arguably the beginning of the reality TV world. Now, you had things like the People's Court, and you had some uh, divorce court, evidently, and those sorts of things. But the real world really, really ushered that in. Um, and then you get to some scripted shows that really started to to run for a long time that aren't there anymore. But Roseanne started in 1988. That was a huge run. That was a long run. 30, 30 years, was even though they had that hiatus in between, and then they fired Roseanne. Mm-hmm. Murphy Brown, again, they brought that show back uh, for a little bit after a hiatus, and you, you get into some of the other ones here. Let's see here. Um, oh, we missed the Phil Donahue show started in 1969. Oh. It went to 1996. Okay. Yeah, that was another one. So, I don't know. Uh, Hee Haw, 71 to 1993, 26 years. There you go. On a run on that. And then there it is, Caleb. Two thousand or nineteen ninety three Power Rangers. Power Rangers. Now, yeah. yeah. Now we're really into. I have an idea of. What's now we're on getting TV. into to your generation of of shows. Late Show with David Letterman starts in nineteen ninety three. 
Same year, uh, you get X Files. Yep, and and then Fox got the NFL in 1994 for the first time, and so they were doing those games. Chris Lofgren. Yeah. Yeah. What's up? Well, I just thought you guys would get a kick out of this. My cousin was a stage manager mm-hmm. for The Price Is Right for about 30 oh, really? years. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Nice. We got a chance to go out and see that. We couldn't participate in the show because we were family. Yeah. But got to sit with the. Producers Did you see a live uh, live studio taping. Met Bob Barker. Oh yeah, yeah. It was no just kidding. before Drew Carey took over. Yeah, but, uh, that was kind of fun. Yeah, there you go. And now we were just saying that we brought this whole thing up. Pat Sajak retiring. It feels like those main three game shows. I don't know if they're the three longest, but those main three game shows with Price is Right, Jeopardy, and Wheel of Fortune. Two of the three have had host changes now. Yeah. And now, yeah. now it'll be three New of generations. Three. Yeah, yeah, yep. absolutely. Interesting fun. stuff there. Yeah. Yep. There you go. And then uh, just just finish this up. Late Late Show started in 1995. And so that's now what James Corden just finished up doing. I don't know if their next host is, is going to be on that, but you're starting to see my, some of my these. My introduction into kind of the late night talk, the Daily Show. Okay. With me, it was Jon Stewart. Even before that, it was Craig Kilborn. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Trevor Noah just wrapped up last year. And there year. you go. Uh, 1996, Fox News starts showing up a show. Fox News Sundays was the first first show that still exists on there. That was April 28th, 1996. Chris Wallace hosted that originally. Antiques Roadshow, 97. Okay. I thought that was older than that. So did I. I just assume all of those PBS shows are are super old. So anyway, you know, kind of find that interesting kind of a, a run through to put wheel, that Wheel of Fortune thing in its in its entire place and and figure out the the eras of these shows that that we remember and how long just how long they've been on but man was i wrong about wheel of fortune or the simpsons being the longest <laughs> 75 years for meet the press 75 years for cbs evening news 70 years for today and 70 years for lincoln's own backyard farmer there we go save it five we'll take a break wrap up the short for this on klin you're listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on 1499.3 KLIN. I hope you enjoyed our, our walk back into, into TV history as closing out Pat Sajak's career. Hey, uh, real quick, if you were uh, thinking about going down to the College World Series, the matchups are set. Uh, at least for the first round, you are going to have Oral Roberts versus TCU. Virginia versus Florida, Stanford versus Wake Forest, and then the nightcap on Saturday will be Tennessee versus LSU. They do how do they do it now? Do they do one game on Friday and then three on Saturday? Is that schedule? I'll make sure I have that right. But but yeah, uh, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But that Tennessee LSU game probably Caleb and I were just talking about this. Probably going to be some of the biggest and maybe most boisterous fan bases that you've got there. If you thing. were to take right now, if the the winner of the LSU Tennessee game or the field, where where are you, uh, where are you sitting on? That? I'm taking the field because Wake Forest is ridiculous. Wake Forest is very good. Yes, but I'll also still, the, I'll, if you're giving me that, I'll take the field. But John still. Bishop will tell you tomorrow that the number one national seed. Has a very hard time winning. It That's has true. had a very hard time I know, winning but for the last several years, decades. Yeah. So it's by the way, it's two games Friday, two Saturday. Oral Roberts at two o'clock versus TCU. Uh, Virginia, Florida will be the nightcap Friday, and then the two o'clock game on Saturday will be Stanford Wake. 
which would be a great game. And Tennessee LSU is the night game there. And if you missed it, Stanford got in on Texas just losing a ball on the lights. Yep. Mo- two players losing a ball on the lights. Yeah, nobody could see it. Routine pop up. Drops in the uh, short outfield. And there you go. Stanford's on. Hey, we got to give away some uh, some art bucks. Our winner, $50 art bucks. Who is it? Lincoln Arts Festival, June 17th, 18th. Northside Eric. Northside Eric. Congratulations, Northside Eric. You'll be going to the west side for uh, <laughs> for this event. But I uh, hope you enjoy it. It should be a great time. And uh, hopefully we'll see a whole bunch of you out there this weekend at the Arts Festival. All right, tomorrow's What Chaps Your Hide Wednesday. Uh, t- by the way, tonight on Dan Parsons' show, he's going to Mary Leary and Gaylor Baird on there. Uh, but then we'll be back tomorrow, like I said, with What Chaps Your Hide Wednesday, John Bishop, and a whole lot more. So we'll see you then. It's 9 o'clock, KLI and Lincoln.